I realized after a while that God gives everybody gifts. And part of my gift is to share the recovery message with people. I may not be the best singer in the world. I may not have a huge voice, but I have a message to my music that I feel is important. Welcome to episode 360 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Melanie, Christopher, Carla, Rachel, Diane, and Brian. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Melanie, Christopher, Carla, Rachel, Diane, and Brian for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. I want to thank Sonia Lee and Paige Logan for their gracious permission to include their songs in this episode. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer. I am your host today and joining me today is Sonia. Welcome, Sonia, to The Recovery Show. Hi, thank you. I, I asked my guests to bring a reading that's meaningful to them. So yeah. tell us what you picked. Okay. It's so hard to pick literature because there's so much great Al-Anon literature that I end up picking like eight of them. But what I landed on today was July 7th, page 189 of The Courage to Change. And it goes like this. I thought that in every conflict, in every confrontation, someone was invariably at fault. It was essential to blame, and I would stew for hours weighing the evidence. I became a chronic scorekeeper. Because I approached every situation with this attitude, I was consumed by guilt and anger. Defensive and anxious, I made sure my own back was always covered. Al-Anon helps me understand that disputes come up even when everyone is doing their best. Obsessively reviewing everyone's behavior focuses my attention where it doesn't belong and keeps me too busy to have any serenity. Instead, I can consider the part I have played. If I have made mistakes, I am free to make amends. Today I know that conflict is not necessarily an indication that someone is wrong. Difficulties may just arise. Sometimes people simply disagree. Today's reminder. Today I accept that each life has its share of conflict. It is not my job to document every such incident. Instead of wringing my hands and pointing my finger, I can consider the possibility that everything is happening exactly as it should. Sometimes blame is just an excuse to keep busy so that I don't have to feel the discomfort of my powerlessness. Like the that. Quote at the, yeah, I love that too. And the quote at the end is, the mind grows by what it feeds on. That is true. That is so true. Sonia, you actually wrote to me two or three years ago, I think three years ago, and you offered a song and you offered to come on the show for whatever reason, that never happened. <laughs> so it's wonderful. I'm so glad that you wrote back to me. It's happening now. And it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that I would like to to explore with you some of the connections you've made between your recovery and your music. Right. I enjoy music as a listener. 
if you've listened to the show for a little while, you know that I find music really speaks to me in my recovery, speaks to me of where I was, speaks to me of where I'm going and and the journey in between. As a creator, I'm sure that that is maybe even more so, but I'm projecting me onto you when I say that. The reason why I reached out to you was because in listening to your show, I could tell that music is important to you. And I think that it is for so many of us, whether you're musically inclined and have a gift with music or not, I think that for the most part, music speaks into people in a way that words sometimes don't. I think it enters in our mind sort of like in a backdoor way because it seeps in subconsciously almost. So I think it's a great way to convey a message. And I was excited to to hear that in your show. And that's what made me reach out to you. Thank you. I've had maybe a couple of guests on the show who have said, I'm not really a music person. Yeah. But almost everybody has been able to pick three songs. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that way I get songs that I don't know, that I'm not familiar, or sometimes songs that I'm very familiar with. And it's broadened my experience as well. I thought we might start with a little bit of your story, how much you want to share that okay, sure. would help us get to know you. Sure. I grew up in, in Rochester, New York, which is upstate New York. We've talked about that. You lived there for a while. And my family is a great family. I love my family. I have uh, parents who are still alive and well, although older. And I have an older brother. I'm 100% Ukrainian. (laughs) I don't know if it's just in my genes or what, but my journey started off with realizing that I was an alcoholic. And so I actually came to the doors of Al-Anon after being sober for a while. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I think it's important to my Al-Anon story and, and who I am today to mention it because there was only so much that I could do in my recovery when I recovered from alcoholism. It stopped. My life got very much better for a long time. I've been sober for 25 years. But then I kept hitting the same wall. I kept having problems in the same areas that for whatever reason, I wasn't able to, quote, fix in the other program, in AA. And Maybe somebody else can, but I just wasn't able to. How I got to Al-Anon was that I married an alcoholic, and I married somebody who's in recovery. He's a great guy. We've been married for almost 20 years, and we have a really really great life. He's a wonderful man. We have two little kids together, and... He is my biggest fan when it comes to music. He supports all of that. He's like my cheerleader. He's not musically inclined at all. He just is a lover of music. We like to say that he sings backup, like way backup, <laughs> maybe 20, 30 feet backup. <laughs> That's like my singing. I will sing in church. I will sing when we get 100 people up oh, on yes. the stage for the Hallelujah Chorus, and that's yes. about it. Yeah, well, back up. If this gives you any idea, he was holding my son, who was about four. My youngest was about four at the time, and his name is Alex. And he was holding Alex in church and singing, and Alex just turned and looked at him and said, Daddy, when you sing, it hurts my feelings. Oh. 
And we got such a kick out of that. But anyway, I married an alcoholic and I started wanting to control him. I love what I learned in Al-Anon when I first got there. One of the first things I wrote down was, helping is the sunny side of control. Because I was always trying to help him. And he didn't like that. He's a very fit man. He's in the fitness business. But he would gain a few pounds and he would say, I'm eating too much sugar. And I would try to help him. I would try to buy this or buy that, you know, hide this food, hide that food. And just started all those codependency things that I had in me just were starting to get watered and bloom very big. I love that image. Yes. Yes. So we went on and and one time I went to, there was a retreat for women here in in the Nashville area. And it was for Al-Anon and AA women. It was called Tennessee Woman to Woman. And it's a wonderful retreat where There's an Al-Anon speaker and an AA speaker, and they each share their stories. And then there's panels, and there's people from both sides, and we mix beautifully together, and I just love it. And I remember going up to the Al-Anon speaker afterwards, and I said, I have this feeling. I've been told that maybe I should go to Al-Anon. And she said, honey, and I said, I'm not really sure because I'm really an alcoholic. And she said, honey, if you scratch an alcoholic, you probably find an Al-Anon. And I was like, oh, okay. And it turns out there is a part in our literature that really speaks to that. We don't call it anything, but it's in the part where we're talking about the third step in the AA literature. And it talks about how people would only behave the way that we would like them. If I could just be the director and the actor and the lighting person, then everything would be fine. I like to say that I get along really well with people when I'm on my own. When things are on my terms, things go well. But for some reason in my home with my loved ones, with my husband, it became very challenging. It turns out there was also some relapse going on. And so there was some breach of trust. So I started going to Al-Anon. But when I first went to Al-Anon, this is what it sounded like. Hi, I'm Sonia. I'm an alcoholic, but I've been told that I should go to Al-Anon. I want to say that doesn't work because right off the bat, I came in and and I was different in my own head and to other people. I'm sure I put people off saying that, but I really thought that's what I was. I, I got a sponsor who was a double winner. She was in both programs. And what I didn't realize was that she wasn't really working the Al-Anon program. She had gone to a few meetings and she said she was in both programs and I didn't really work the program. I just went to a few meetings and not surprisingly, the Al-Anon program didn't really work for me because I wasn't doing it. I wasn't living it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really understand what it was all about. So fast forward years later and things started to get worse with situations, with the relapses. And I was so angry and I didn't know how to handle my feelings. I didn't know how to handle my war cry was, you know, poor me, poor me. And I don't want to go to Al-Anon. I don't want to do one more thing. Why do I have to do one more thing? I've already worked a program and if I can do it, why can't you do it? So I started dabbling again in Al-Anon because 
I didn't know what to do with my feelings. I was so angry and I couldn't understand why if I was able to get sober, why my husband was struggling. One of the things that I learned and and from my Elanon sponsor was that I can't compare my journey with other people's journey in any program. Mm-hmm. And Elanon really helped me realize that this disease manifests itself differently in in different people. It looks differently for everybody. And I needed to have a better respect for that. And I really didn't. And so this time when I came to Al-Anon, I decided because I had gone to a conference and I had listened to an Al-Anon speaker share his story. And one of the things that he said really stood out for me. It was an AA conference but with Al-Anon participation. So there was both parties there. And he said, if you are an, an alcoholic and you're considering coming to Al-Anon, he said, I, I want to make a suggestion. And that is, I want to suggest that you come to Elanon as an Elanon and not say that you're an alcoholic and and maybe even get a pure Elanon sponsor. And the reason for that is that it'll give you a fresh set of ears and information. Think of it this way is what he said. He said, think of it if somebody from Elanon came into the doors of AA and said, Hey, I'm here, I'm an Elanon, but I've been told to come to AA. I don't think I really need to do the steps because I know the steps are pretty much the same and I've already done them in that program. So I probably don't really need to do them here. And he said, if, if you did that in AA, if somebody did that in AA, that they'd get laughed out of the room. Of course, if you're here, it's different issues. It's from a you know different perspective and we focus on different things. For some reason, I really heard that that particular day. and decided that this time I was going to go in with both feet. And I, I looked for the person who was taking notes. I looked for the woman who was sharing, who was serious about her recovery. I asked her to be my sponsor. I asked somebody who was not a double winner. And now that's not something that'll work for everybody. But for me, that's what I needed. And it worked perfectly because when she talks to me, she doesn't talk to me from the perspective of, of an alcoholic. She is a hundred and ten percent Al-Anon, and and she works a great program. So I'm very grateful to her and and her guidance and everything that she's had to share with me. And one of the things that she shares with me a lot is that she says, "Let the mayonnaise jar settle." One of my defects, as you would call it, is that I tend to jump in and say things. I'm not one of those people that stay silent. So I like to point, I like to jump in, I'm a fighter. And that doesn't work really well when you're also with another person who's a fighter. My Irish, Italian husband and I, my Ukrainian temper didn't work well. But I have learned over the years that, you know, that doesn't work. And that the pause button, if I can just pause and try to listen better. There's just so many things that I've learned in Al-Anon that, that have helped me. And honestly, one of the things that I really love, I wrote down a few slogans, was that figure it out is not one of our slogans. I always, like that reading said, I always have to sit there and figure it out. Like, why am I right? and Why is he wrong? And how am I going to, I would obsess over all that. And it was ridiculous. It was just such a waste of energy. And I've been doing it since I've been a child. I've actually come to realize that 
in my Al-Anon journey that I have been a codependent or a person who has focused on other people and other people to fill me and, and turn to other people to make me okay way longer than I took a drink. Maybe not way longer, but at least five to 10 years longer. And I remember as a child, really good friends saying to me, you know, why do you always have to be right? Like I would fight till the bitter end. <laughs> and I share this story and it's embarrassing, but my husband loves it when I share it. I was young, probably in first or second grade, and I wanted to start a little club. And so I had me and two other friends and they both really were excited. All three of us were excited to be in this club I wrote some rules out, just some guidelines. I handed them out. I wrote actually quite a few rules and guidelines. And the next time we were supposed to get together, nobody showed up. I was the only one that came. That's just kind of how I was. In the end, as an adult, in some ways, that has turned out to, to benefit me that I can be, there's some leadership qualities in me. But for the most part, I just really liked telling people what to do. And I wanted it done a certain way because that was the right way to do it. That's just how I figured things were. And I came to Al-Anon and I realized so many things that how important is it is something that really helped me with my marriage. How important is it? I'm getting all fired up about this thing. And does it even really matter and it's easy to say that and understand that and conceptualize it, but it's a whole nother thing to actually be able to shut my mouth, think it, and just live it. That has taken a long time for me for some reason. I'm and still working on that. Good. It makes me feel better that I'm not the only one. But honestly, the reason why I bring in my AA story to my Elanon story is because I feel like there may be somebody else out there like me who didn't know that they might need this. And for me, when I didn't know anymore what to do about my husband's drinking, when I didn't know what to do anymore and, and I was just angry and bitter and my little son came to me, my oldest one was five at the time and he came to me and he said to me, mommy, are you happy? And I knew he said that because, yeah, Ow. he said, that because exactly, ouch, I was so unhappy I was so unhappy and I was so angry that he couldn't get sober, that he was ruining our life, my vision of this sober life together, that I didn't have any more tools in my toolkit to use. I didn't know what else to do. And the thought to drink, I didn't want to drink, but the thought crossed my mind mm -hmm. because I thought, well, I'll show him. That'll work and really well, won't it? That'll work really well. And the, the logical mind would come in and say, that's stupid. And you know that. And your children need at least one sober parent. But in reality, the fact that I even thought that really scared me. And so that's part of what, what brought me back. And I started going to these meetings and I started getting relief. And I love that part. I wanted to read it, but I didn't know where to find it. But the part that we read in, in, at least in a lot of the meetings that I go to that says something along the lines of there's no, no hardship that can't be bettered. Yeah. Yes. It's in the closing and it says, you will come to realize that there is no situation too difficult to be bettered and no unhappiness too great to be lessened. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That brought me so much hope. It brought me so much hope and hearing other people's 
miserable stories for some reason <laughs> brought me so much hope too because they didn't seem miserable. They were like miserable, awful stories, but the people themselves didn't seem miserable and there was hope. And I am ever so grateful. And then I remembered hearing years ago, one of my favorite AA speakers, Keith L., Keith Lewis, I can say that now because he's passed away. He was a great member of Alcoholics Anonymous and so many people loved him. And in his story, at least a couple of times I heard him share that, I don't know, he was maybe five years sober and his brother lived in a different town and he drove three or four hours to go see his brother and pull him off of a bar stool and bring him home. He called a sponsor to tell him that. And his sponsor said, you are where? And you did what? I said, I didn't tell you to do that. I want you to go to Al-Anon, one Al-Anon meeting a week from now on. This particular alcoholic started sharing with the people he sponsored that if they were sober for two or three years, he started telling them to go to Al-Anon. I think it's such a wonderful addition and wonderful gift for us to understand other alcoholics in, in a different light. I always feel that anybody who is an alcoholic undoubtedly has friends and relatives who are alcoholics and therefore is immediately qualified for Al-Anon, whether they know it or not. Absolutely. (laughs) Exactly. It's so obvious to me now, but for some reason, not back then. You were talking earlier about the steps being different. It's the same exact words, yes. except for step 12. There's one word different, but yes. because Elanons do not carry the message to alcoholics, that would be really bad for us to do. That, <laughs> right. That's the opposite of. <laughs> yeah. We've been doing that and it hasn't yeah, worked. It's not um, worked. Exactly. But what you said and what I have found true from my experience sponsoring people who are also in another program is that the focus of the steps is different. One, one guy that I was sponsoring, I heard an echo. He was trying to figure out how to get his girlfriend clean. I know how to do it. Why can't you just follow my directions? And so we started at step one because that's where he was. And we got to step three. We were using one of the study guides that Alan provides has a question that says something like, do I trust my higher power to take care of me? And he said, yeah, absolutely. I learned that in in my other program. And I asked him, do you trust your higher power or her higher power to take care of your girlfriend? And he said, absolutely not. Ah. I said, that's where we are. That is why we're working on step three. Yes. Um, Yes. That's great. Along those lines, you made me think of something that is really important that that I came up with an analogy. Sometimes... An analogy works for me to remember something and connect with something a little bit deeper. I thought of this and it helped me. And so I share it with with other friends who are double winners. But when I think of somebody who has cancer, I think, okay, two people, let's say breast cancer as an example. One person may have breast cancer and, and they may go and have a little bit of radiation done or a cyst remove. And they may be okay for the rest of their adult life. Another person, the extreme scenario, may have to get 
radiation, chemotherapy, lose their hair, a double mastectomy. It's the same disease. It's breast cancer, but it looks completely different for those two people. And it is not fair for me to judge my journey. The fact that I've been able to stay sober is a gift. And I need to remember it is a gift. It is not because I did something right and he's doing something wrong. That's not why he's not staying sober. There are different levels and alcoholism is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Yeah. And it's a disease and can't control how much somebody gets it, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I would go to these open meetings and hear people tell their stories. And I started to have friends who are in AA and these, these people that like, they hit their bottom. They went to AA and they've been sober ever since. Yeah. And I would say, why can't the person I love do that? <laughs> why is what? it so hard? And she did find her way. And Eleanor let me be there when that happened. But there was that frustration that and, yeah. and that comparison. And it takes a long time for me. I can't speak for anybody else to understand that everybody has their own journey. Everybody is not affected by the disease in the same way. And everybody right. does not find recovery in the same way. Yes. And I might add that I think that for alcoholics, it's even more challenging because we, we actually have the disease. So we think that way even more. And I am one of those people, by the way, who got sober and has been able to stay sober without relapsing this whole time. But my first few years were extremely challenging, mm -hmm. very difficult. And I stayed very close and I stayed very connected to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, very active in it. Sometimes I think some people might think, well, you must have not been that bad if you were able to stay sober right away. There's all sorts of judgments that we make on one another and none of it's. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your music. Okay. You sent me back in, I think it was 2018, you sent this song, Butterfly. Yes. And first is, and I'm sure you know this, Butterfly's at least unofficial sort of mascot of Al-Anon. Yes, I'm wearing my little butterfly necklace. Yeah. Yes. It, it was, I think it was in consideration to be when they were deciding what the logo was going to be. It was up for the running. And then they chose the triangle with the circle inside yeah. it instead. But it remains to be the unofficial logo, which I love your podcast picture for that reason. I'm sure there was a connection in my head. I was just searching for a picture. And this was a actual, it's actually a moth, but... Yes, I could tell. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting there with its wings open when it's resting. I had this picture that I had taken of this Luna moth. Oh, you took, I, you took that. I did. Oh, it awesome. Was, it, was, it was on my parents' screen door at their house, and, and so I, I decided to, to use that, and I've been really glad that I did. But this song, I love it. This is one of the reasons that I love music, for helping me to understand life. Because on the surface, it's a song about a butterfly emerging from its chrysalis. If you just take the words... Literally. Right. That's what it's about. Right. You start out saying, come out into the light. Okay, butterflies breaking out of the chrysalis is presumably dark inside the chrysalis and it's coming out and all of a sudden there's sun and everything, right? That's right. And nothing will seem right because, oh my God, that is so different. Right. 
but it's also a story. It's also a song about recovery. Absolutely. Because I don't know, I came to Al-Anon and I felt acceptance. I felt love. I felt part of, and that was weird. Right. We were all there because we had this person or people in our lives who's Drinking was making us nuts. And then when I started to hear what was being said, that also was so counterintuitive, so opposite to the way I thought things should work. So at first, nothing will seem right, but I could feel that light, that metaphorical light. Right. And then your chorus, butterfly spread your wings, you'll fly and I will sing. We will be who we were meant to be now that we have opened up our wings. I mean, I spent 40-something years of my life before I found recovery because unlike alcoholism, my dis-ease is not obvious. Right. I learned how to put everybody else first. I learned how to want to please everybody and fix everybody. I learned that as a child from my family. Right. Felt like the right thing to do. Feels normal. But that was also keeping me from really living life fully because I had to do all this other stuff. And then when things didn't go the way that I thought they should go, I would get frustrated and resentful and angry. Right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that still happens. Okay. (laughs) I love the fact that we talk about progress and not perfection. One of my guests said recently, and I probably had heard it before, but I really heard it, that I'm perfectly imperfect. There you go. Yeah. This is the way I'm supposed to be right now. But this program has given me tools. Yes. To be more of who I'm meant to be, to open my wings. I found so much new living in the last, oh my God, 19 years now. (laughs) Awesome. I found joys that I had no idea were there for me. It's amazing. And that's the same for me. I, I felt that when I wrote this song, I actually wrote it. I was singing for a group of people at a treatment facility in Minnesota. I was at Hazelden, the treatment facility They had asked me to be a part of some event. I don't know. It just came out. I usually write with other people, but every once in a while I come out with a song on my own and it just came out. The idea that it's the struggles that that make us stronger. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote it from the perspective of somebody in their addiction as the alcoholic. And this was before I was really active in Al-Anon. But today it makes so much sense to me in Al-Anon because as my son said, he asked me the other day, do you know what happens in a cocoon before it turns into the butterfly? Uh, I says, I said, no. He said, he gave me a a four part question. It was one of his little National Geographic kid magazines. He said, what happens first when it goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly? Is it, does it turn into mush? Is it the the legs fall off? Is it the antenna and whatever? And the answer was it goes to mush. And that was not what I thought. (laughs) 
But I love that image because it's, I almost had to just melt into something, into this, okay, I know nothing now. And let me really work hard again at getting out into this light and seeing things in a new way, in a different way. And it works so much for me in both programs. Of course, at the time, I didn't even know that the butterfly was the unofficial mm -hmm. symbol of Al-Anon. That was just a really happy accident. Yeah, I hear it. I hear it with my Al-Anon ears, but yeah. I can also hear it as a recovery from, from anything. And that sounds like that's the way you wrote it originally. Yes. So you were at this workshop or whatever. Yeah. So it was an alumni event and we were in the hotel and I had some time to, to think, you know, when I'm not home, I'm not obsessed with what needs to be done in the house. So things tend to come to me a little bit better, but yeah, I just got the analogy of the butterfly and we will be who we were meant to be. I'm not supposed to be this crazy, angry person. God didn't make me that way. Yes, my anger has its place sometimes. It's all of my, what I call character defects. There's a little tiny bit of them usually that is useful, but you know, I don't want to be this raging lunatic that my kid has to ask me, what's wrong, mommy? Are you happy? And I want to be happy. I want to come out into the light. I want to be able to live differently. So it definitely works on both on both images of uh, both groups i'm always fascinated with the creative process and have listened to some other podcasts about mostly how musicians create their work and it's just it's fascinating how sometimes and you hear this like sometimes it just came yeah and sometimes it was this very slow building process and it sounds like this one just, it, it came in a very short period to you, is it? Kind of, yeah. It, the part of it did. And what I remember now is that there's the word abandon in my song. In the bridge, it says, fly high, I will sing with abandon. And for some reason, I love the word abandon I heard it in another song. You can steal a word from another song. <laughs> I hope so. There's and, only so uh, many words. Yes, exactly. And I remember just thinking about butterflies and how their life is so short. I found out that they're only like, or maybe it's just the monarch, you know, like 21 days old. They only live 21. The bridge goes fly high and I will sing with abandon. Because for me, personally, I was a singer in my drinking days and I didn't know when I got sober if I could keep singing because it was so much related to the bars I was in. But I realized after a while that God gives everybody gifts. And part of my gift is to share the recovery message with people. I may not be the best singer in the world. I may not have a huge voice like some of the other great country singers here in Nashville that I admire. But I have a message to my music that I feel is important. And I get a lot of emails and I get a lot of calls from people and people telling me that my music really touched them and that it helped them out in a rough time of their life. That actually at first wasn't as meaningful, but the longer I sat with it became more and more meaningful because I, I came to Nashville to pursue music and I really wanted to hear one of my songs on the radio my goal was to hear a, a, a star, a big country musician singing one of my songs. 
And that hasn't really happened. Although it's very close because one of my songs just got cut by a, a bluegrass duo here in town. So I'm very excited about that. And that's supposed to come out in August. One of my songs from the Butterfly album it's called No Mistakes. And uh, there's a, a duo that's that's singing it. And I can't wait to hear it. I haven't even heard it. But that wasn't happening for me. And I kept saying to God, I know that maybe you didn't think that I could handle fame and some money from my music because making music is not cheap, as I'm sure you could figure out. And so here I am making these records. Nobody's cutting them. And I was telling God, I know early in my sobriety, it wouldn't have been good for me to be famous and have a lot of money because I probably would have gone haywire and, and gone back to drinking and drugging. But now I feel like I'm pretty well rounded and I feel like I could handle it now. So anytime that anytime, you want to God, anytime. <laughs> anytime you want to give me my big cut. And then one of my girlfriends, who's just a really great spiritual person and, and a, a songwriter, Marsha, that I admire very much, who's had some big cuts, she said to me, Sonia, what you do makes a difference in people's lives. And it was almost like, for some reason, coming from her that particular day was like somebody threw a glass of water in my face. It was like, snap out of it. Like, you are getting feedback that what you're doing is helping people, and that's really important. And that's pro probably why you got sober. And now I'm an Al-Anon and can do the same thing. It's been a real journey. Yeah. I have no idea why I'm talking about that now. Well, but it's, <laughs> it somehow applies. I will say that I started doing this podcast. Not quite on a whim. The guy who was my sponsor at the time, this was interesting. I had a sponsor who was a double winner at that wow. time. He had and still has an AA-focused podcast. And I came on as a guest a few times with him. And he would get letters from listeners saying, I don't understand this Al-Anon stuff that Spencer keeps talking about. <laughs> and I said, well, maybe we should do like an episode about Al-Anon. And he said, maybe you should do a whole podcast about Al-Anon. There you go. And I was like, oh, wow. I don't, can I do that? So I did. And I didn't expect it to keep going maybe for nine years it's been now. Is that right? Eight years, whatever. End of 2012. So I got to do the math, but I think that's only eight, eight years and a few months. And I was just putting it out there and it was helping my program because I had to spend time thinking about recovery and how different aspects of it work for me and talking to people about it like every week almost. And then I started to hear from people about the difference I and my guests and at the beginning my co-hosts were doing, the difference that's making in their lives. and. It's not a big thing. I'm not making money from it, but I'm making a difference. And that is that why I'm here? Maybe. Yeah, I believe it is. I believe, you know, in, in, in my AA literature, I know it's very much stressed that my, I believe, this is my take on it, my interpretation is that I got sober so that I could be of maximum service to those people about me, other alcoholics and other people on this uh, journey of both sides of this fence now. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked a lot about Butterfly, but you've written or co-written, I guess, other recovery yeah. songs. As far as I can tell, you've got two albums with recovery music. Yes. And I'm about to do a third one that's not going to be 
my music. It's uh, it's just an idea that I that I came up with because, like you, Spencer, there are many songs out there that make me think of the recovery journey, mm-hmm. and they really speak to me. And uh, for instance, "Time for Me to Fly" by Ario Speedwagon was a song that I've always loved, and to me, when I got sober, that was a song that just really spoke to me. As I'm singing this to my disease, like you have messed me up enough and it is time for me to fly. We're done here. <laughs> and, and so songs like that. So that's not going to go on the album because I already recorded it on another CD of mine called true before I realized I wanted to, to, to do recovery CDs. It's just happened by accident, but this other CD and I will make another one. I have some more songs uh, that I'm going to put on an original CD of original songs, but this other upcoming CD is going to be called Recover, and it's spelled capital R E and then capital C O R. Okay, because they're cover songs. Yes, but exactly. they're cover songs that you connect to recovery. Exactly, bingo. So I'm really excited about it. It'll cost a lot more because I have to pay for you know the licensing and things right. like that. Right. That is the reality of making music, isn't it? Yes, it is the reality. And, but, and of course, you want to get paid for what you do as well. So you exactly. probably understand it better than a lot of us do. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I love your CD so much. I burned 10 copies of them, gave them to all my friends. <laughs> and you'll, like, Gee, thanks. Why don't you buy 10 copies and give them to all your yeah, friends? Yeah. yeah. It's not really how that works. And I do explain to people, you no. Know, Every time you buy a CD, I will make a little bit of money. And I am on Pandora, so every time you give me a thumbs up on there, maybe 10 years from now, I'll make about 10 bucks. (laughs) Yeah, And you're on Spotify, and you probably made about three cents from there. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, my first recovery CD was called Chance to Start Over, and that's one of the songs on that. And the hook line to that is, it's not the falling down that makes us fail, it's the staying there. It was, it was Mary Pickford was an American actress. And it was a quote from her that I found early on in my sobriety. And I, I loved it. It really helped me for some reason to realize, because I was beating myself up so much. I just wrote it down and I carried it around in my wallet and I, I still have it. I taped it to an old address book. I couldn't bring myself to throw it away, but this thing we call failure is not in the falling down, but in the staying down and each moment we can get up. And I love that image. There's a a bunch of 12 uh, songs on there. And then the next CD that came out was called Butterfly, which is the one that we were just talking about, the song Butterfly. Yeah. I get a lot of my ideas going to to meetings and listening to people share and listening to people talk. Okay. The the Chance to Start Over album, I picked out several songs that could have come straight from the middle of somebody's share in a meeting yes <laughs> god's time not mine exactly when are when are my character defects going to go away they're going to go away in god's time exactly you know, god yeah. shaped hole in my heart yes so that was the first song i wrote when i got sober i had gone to a conference and for anybody who's out there who's never been to a al-anon or AA conference i just want to share that it really was a game changer for me i suddenly was in this place that was full of people like myself 
and we were having fun and there was great speakers and there was people vendors selling little things jewelry and books and stuff and you could talk to people it was just so much fun it added a new life to my recovery which like i mentioned before in my early um recovery from alcoholism it was very difficult. I was a daily drinker, so it was hard for me the first couple of years. I struggled a lot. I was living with somebody who was a, still a daily drinker, and mm. it was just hard. But I remembered hearing this woman say, I had been putting all these things, buying things, having relationships, eating food, alcohol, all these things I, I was trying to make to fill me up. And what i didn't realize and why that didn't work was because it was a God-shaped hole in my heart. And it just really struck me. I had never heard that before. I'd never heard anyone say anything like that before. And I never forgot that image. I wish I could remember who she was because I wrote that song and I wrote it by myself. And my husband loves that song. Whenever I sing it, he gets teared up. He just loves that song. And he's sober today, by the way. I, I want to say that because I mentioned that he's a great guy and the father of my children, but we're, we're still married and he's sober and he has his journey and I have mine and it, it works. And, and sober makes it easier for sure. Yes. And part of his journey and a missing link, like Al-Anon was a missing link for me, for him, ACA, adult child of okay. alcoholism, was a missing link for him. Yeah. That helped keep him sober, turns out. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but it, it. I guess it's, we never know exactly what we need, do we? No, that's right. So I was just thinking, you were saying you wish you remembered who this woman was. But in some way, that's the, the beauty of the anonymity of the program. You're right. Because we don't have to, we can't say, oh, that person is amazing because they said this thing that I still remember however many years later. (laughs) Yes, you're right. It could be anybody. It could be anybody. However, if I knew who it was, I would thank her for inspiring me in that way. Who knows? Maybe she listens to the podcast and now you just have There you go. (laughs) You never know. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And there was another song from my recovery, uh, from the Butterfly CD that, is I heard an, an AA speaker share, Bob B. And he was saying, I don't know about you guys. I didn't come here walking towards the light. I came here running from the fire. And I love that image. And it works for both programs. Like I didn't come to Elanon because things were going great. I came because my son looked at me and was wondering how he could make help make mommy happy. <laughs> mommy, are you happy? How sad. We come here, and, and like you mentioned, it took you a long time to get here. I really think it's harder to get people to, to come into the rooms of Al-Anon for that reason. It's not as dire. It's not as urgent. People aren't shoving you into treatment or into rooms. It's different. Yeah, but I, I, I have said before, I think that, my my anger, my rage was so bad, I it very likely would have gotten me fired from my yeah. job. And the only way I got past that, through that, whatever the word is, the only way that was lifted from me was by coming to Eleanor. Yeah. Who knew? Ooh. And yeah, I came here because I 
didn't really have hope that I would see the light or whatever. I just was in so much pain. Yeah. And it's like the last house on the block. Almost nobody comes into a 12-step program on a good day. Exactly. And that's what the first <laughs> line of that song is. Surrender is the last thing I wanted to do. No kidding. No kidding. Yep. <sighs> okay. We, we're, I think, what, about an hour in at this point? Yes. Um, is there any anything else that, that you would like to say right now Not to somebody really. who's listening? I think the only thing that I would add to anybody who's listening is that if you are an alcoholic in recovery and you have thought that maybe Al-Anon could help you, I would encourage you to investigate that and always stay in your other 12-step programs, but to investigate that because I think that's a little nudge. And for me, it's been life-changing. AA saved my life, but Al-Anon saved my marriage and has helped me, kept me from to harm people mm-hmm. and, and being a crazy person. I, I feel that I'm somebody my family enjoys being around today. And isn't that a wonderful feeling? Yes, that is a gift. That's why we're here after all. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. You picked a couple of your own songs to talk about. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? How about God-Shaped Hole? I think I picked that one because I think it's probably something that we can all relate to. And because it's my husband's favorite, and because what I just shared to you about believing that I wouldn't be married if it weren't for Elanon, I would either be back out drinking or not married, or both, <laughs> if it weren't for Elanon. I guess I wanted to pick that song because I just was thinking of my husband and how much he loves that song. And he asks me a lot, how come you don't sing that song? Sing that song. For shelter, somewhere to hide from the storm, somewhere to go when life gets too painful, somewhere I can call home. There's never been enough people to keep me from feeling alone. Nothing could cure my restlessness Or the emptiness in my soul Wherever I did roam Oh, and I searched high and low For something or somebody To make me whole God-shaped hole in my heart All of the 
this time you have been there, patiently waiting for me, always reaching to take my hand while letting me run free. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery in the recent past? Last weekend, my my step meeting, I sat at... So I don't know how it works at the meetings in, in your part of the country. In Michigan, we have mostly table meetings where we have maybe 10 or 12 people sitting around a table. And if there's more than that, we might have multiple tables, which... My understanding is that actually started in AA in Detroit. There was a, a guy who was an early AA member in Detroit, and he was very shy. And he didn't want to get up and stand in front of a room full of people and talk. And so he came up with this alternative structure for meetings, which has become traditional, at least in Southeast Michigan. That makes sense. In this particular meeting, usually we have, well, it's a Zoom meeting now, so we have two rooms, but whatever. And the two rooms might be talking about the same step, but at certain 
weeks of the month, one of the one of the rooms, one of the tables does a, a the tradition. So we were talking about tradition five, which is, is the description of our primary purpose in Elanon. Right? We practice the twelve steps of AA ourselves. We give understanding and encouragement to our alcoholic relatives and welcome and comfort families of alcoholics, something like that. I don't have the exact words. My favorite tradition, because it describes why I'm here. What am I doing in Illinois? I'm here for my own recovery by working those 12 steps. I'm here to understand how to find compassion and love and understanding of the people in my life whose alcoholic behavior was driving me crazy. And this, in many ways, is the most important part of it. I'm here for the people who are coming in, I'll say after me, but maybe they came in before me, but today they need that comforting connection. And I thought back, I think I might have shared in the meeting actually about my first meeting where I came in not knowing what I was going to find there, not really wanting to be there. And at the end of an hour in a room full of people I didn't know, I felt relief and I felt not alone. And that was what I needed Mm -hmm. at that moment. And because people in that meeting welcomed me, said, we're glad you're here, gave me phone numbers, which, of course, I didn't use. I kept coming back. And I try to remember that when somebody new comes into one of my meetings. And I make it part of my job. I don't know job is the right word. As a longtime member, to make sure that person is welcomed. And it might not be by me. It might be I look over and see that somebody else is talking to them and I'm like, okay, I don't have to go stick myself into that conversation just because it's my my duty, just because my codependency tells me to. And that's the other thing I have to watch out for because I do. I want to make everybody feel better. I still want to make everybody feel better. The difference now is I know it and I have some tools to help me not act on that first impulse. And that has carried over into some other areas and they have cross-fed. I started going back to church about the same time I came into recovery. I think that's not a coincidence. My wife says that's because I made you, but whatever. (laughs) She said I was in this program and they said I had to go to church. And so I made you go to church with me. I'm like, oh, okay. That, That is probably true. I sort of remember that. So as I got involved there, it's a fairly large church. It's not like a mega church, but we have several hundred members. And so when somebody new comes, they don't know anybody. I'm sure you've had this experience walking into a a new meeting or new place, and it seems like everybody knows each other and you know nobody. Right. So we were encouraged to, when we saw somebody who looked like they didn't know anybody, to just go up and say hi, uh, welcome. And so I started to practice that there. And I could do that there because I had practiced doing that in my meetings, and these two practices really enhanced each other. So anyway, that was where that that reading about 
one of the Elanon traditions, which everybody's, oh my God, it's a tradition. We give people the option which Zoom room they want to come into. We had <laughs> seven people in the room on the tradition and 13 or 14 people in the room that was doing step six, I think they were, or step seven, whatever it was. But I love connecting these things to my life because they help me to live with other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I was thinking, I'm also doing a tradition study in, in an Al-Anon group that started during COVID. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small group and we're doing one of the workbooks. We were talking about the 10th tradition. And it states that Al-Anon family groups have no opinion on outside issues. Hence, our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. One of the readings in our little Courage to Change book starts off with, thanks to Elanon's traditions, I'm able to have a sponsor whose politics are abhorrent to me. Although we totally disagree on other issues, this person has helped me learn valuable lessons about serenity, courage, and wisdom. When we were talking about this tradition at the meeting last week, a few people shared, and of course, the whole topic of COVID came up and how there's a lot of controversy around it and it becomes political. Yeah. And one one of the ladies shared something and I just thought it was so cool. And I've, I've tried using it and it's really worked. She said that she was in a gathering and there was a discussion and it was getting a little heated. And a gentleman simply said, I don't share your viewpoint. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I don't share your viewpoint. And I wrote it down and I was like, oh my gosh, I can say that? I I don't share your viewpoint? Because what I read earlier today when we first started the show was that, you know, I thought there's a right and there's a wrong and there's a conflict. And sometimes my gripe with some people, me judging others, is that they they you know can't seem to have a difference of opinion they seem to get offended if you have a difference of opinion turns out i can do that too <laughs> so now if i sense somebody getting a little riled up or myself the other day i said to my husband i said i don't share your viewpoint you know it was a silly conversation about what are our kids going to do this summer all summer that doesn't involve playing video games. I want to get a handle on this up front here. One of the things that I decided was that I want them to practice cursive writing. And he happens to believe, along with much of the world, that there's no real use for it. And what's the point? And that's a waste of time. And they don't want to do that. But I am old school. And I believe that it would be good to know cursive. And call me old-fashioned or whatever. So we were going back and forth. And finally, I said, if you really want me to look up some reasons, some statistical reasons, I can Google it for you. But basically, I I don't share your viewpoint that it's not important. And it just confused it. Everything Mm -hmm. just seemed, can't really argue with someone when they say that. (laughs) Yeah, people do, but. (laughs) People might, but if you say, I don't agree with your viewpoint, that I don't share your viewpoint. It's more of a statement. It doesn't really leave a whole lot of space to say you're wrong. You could say that, I suppose. Somebody could say that, but that would be mean. It's in the nature of one of those neutral responses. You might be right. <laughs> but it's more polite. 
I don't share your view, but I'm, I'm going to remember that one. There are some people in my life that I could definitely use that because yeah, I love that. they're people I want to get along with. Yeah. I like them as friends. They might be in my own family and I love them as family members. Yeah. But we have very different viewpoints on some topics. My father-in-law, we got along great. And there were certain things we just didn't talk about because we already knew we didn't share each other's viewpoint. And so let's talk about something where we can connect rather than something where we're going to butt heads. I have never heard anyone change somebody's mind politically or religiously. I really haven't. That has to come from inside. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, looking forward, we had a suggestion uh, for a topic that I'd love to talk about. Terry wrote, it seems we're made to feel guilty to love our spouse who has a drinking problem. The public view is we should control them, fix them, or leave them. I think a lot of us that chose to stay with an alcoholic feel shame. And so the question is maybe how do we keep on loving our alcoholics? There's all kinds of questions we could go there. I'm one of those people who did, who does. And Al-Anon gave that to me. I freely admit that, that Al-Anon enabled me to love the alcoholic in my life while she was still active in her disease and to keep on loving her throughout. But it, it took a while and it took some effort. And yeah, I find even in meetings sometimes people are like, oh, I'm leaving. Of course I'm leaving. And and I have had people, when I share my story, I know at least a couple of people who are like, I'm so glad you shared your story because I felt alone in not wanting to leave. So I think it's a great topic. And, and I'd love to hear from people who still love your alcoholic. And let's talk about it. That's a great topic. Yeah. You can leave us a voicemail, send us an email. And how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734 707 8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. You could also send a voice memo or email to feedback at the recovery.show. And we'd love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions, your thoughts about how music speaks to you in recovery, or maybe you create music in recovery like Sonia does, or upcoming topics, including loving an alcoholic. And if you'd like advance notice for some of our topics so that you can contribute, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Just put email in the subject line to make it easier to spot in my inbox. And our website is, as I've said a couple times already, therecovery.show, where we have all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode, links to the readings, uh, videos. Are you on YouTube? Yes. And I will also put a link to your website where people can go and buy your CDs if they feel moved to do so. Yes, that would be wonderful. I'm on iTunes and Spotify and all that too, yeah. I picked the song Butterfly. We already talked about it a lot, but I just... When I first heard this song, when you sent that to me, I just really, as I said earlier, connected it to the journey of recovery, the journey of coming out of the dark into the light, but it just being weird and different, but then spreading my wings metaphorically and flying. So there was no question in my mind that I was going to pick that song. Awesome. 
time for your voices. Holly writes, Hi Spencer, for the episode about music and recovery, I definitely use music as a tool in my recovery, choosing songs that either match my mood or might help me change my mood. I also love it when I hear lyrics that suggest that the songwriter might be in a recovery program, though sometimes it's impossible to tell because the lyrics might just be common sense and wise, as the best parts of recovery are. One of my favorites is Living in the Moment by Jason Mraz. Lyrics include, I will not waste my days making up all kinds of ways to worry about all the things that will not happen to me. So I just let go of what I know I don't know, and I know I only do this by living in the moment, living my life easy and breezy, with peace in my mind, with peace in my heart, peace in my soul. Wherever I'm going, I'm already home, living in the moment. 
And another one that helps me snap out of resentment is Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Thanks again for all your wonderful work, and hello to all the listeners from Holly. Thank you, Holly. Thank you for sharing those songs. Molly writes, Tonight I listened to episode 359, and you asked your listeners to share thoughts about music and recovery. This is a topic that is very close to my heart. I'm a classical pianist and have played and taught music most of my life. It wasn't until I started working with a therapist four years ago and came to Elanon almost three years ago that I really made some sense of the role music has played in my life and in my recovery. Many of my loved ones have suffered from addiction or depression, and I moved through much of my life with anxiety and hypervigilance, trying to watch, help, control, fix, or save my loved ones suffering from the disease. However, when I was playing music, that was when I felt the most present in my own life. Playing the piano is also when I would truly experience the widest range of emotions, excitement, sorrow, beauty, awe, and peace. I tried to encourage my piano students to not play everything mezzo forte, medium loud, but instead to find the peaks and valleys and everything in between. I tried to explain to them that a rest or silence in a musical phrase was just as important as the notes. And I had a great piano teacher who once told me the difference between an amateur and a professional was restraint, knowing when to hold back and when to move forward. So the same practice that helped me to learn a Chopin nocturne Restraint, patience, passion, and commitment are the same tools that help me to focus on my own recovery. And because of that, I feel more present in my life and more able to experience the peaks and valleys and everything in between, not only at the piano, but in all areas of my life. With gratitude and best wishes to all, Molly in Connecticut. Wow, thank you, Molly, for that that vision of peaks and valleys and everything in between. That's lovely. Susie left us a voicemail about music. Hi, my name is Susie. I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. And when you said you were looking for people to share about music and recovery, I got so excited um, because music's very, very special to me and has been a big part of my recovery. When I was in Al-Anon about four years, I went to an Alathon at my local uh, district on a Saturday and I heard a group singing and doing skits, performing skits about recovery, I was so touched. I was crying. I was laughing. And I wanted to be a part of it so bad. Growing up in an alcoholic home, I I was told that I shouldn't be a show-off. I always wanted to sing. Every opportunity I got, I was in choirs and performing groups. But I was always discouraged from being real showy, really just putting my whole self out there like I really wanted to. It was like my talent was there, but it was hidden and just kept at a very minimal level until I got into the program. And then, like I said, I saw this group and I went up to the people after and I ended up getting involved. For five years, I traveled around with this wonderful group of fellow members. We had so much fun changing the words to familiar songs and coming up with skits. Some were sad and touching, or I don't know if I want to say sad, but some were poignant and about the devastating part of um, what we deal with. And then we made songs and skits that made us laugh at ourselves, which was so good because I know for myself I can be way too serious. And so it was a way to lighten up and laugh and just connect with people. We actually performed at a lot of AA roundups and 
different conferences, to carry the message of Al-Anon in a creative way, to let them see who we really were. Because we heard that a lot of members of AA didn't have a positive view of Al-Anon, and so this was a way that we could carry that message and, and show our creative side. One of the songs was, it's a pink song, and it's called Glitter in the Air, and I rewrote the words about what it had been like for me with my daughter's alcoholism. I just want to sing a little bit for you right now so you can hear what it was like. Have you ever wondered if you survive? Wondered if you'd make it through the night? Have you ever waited just to hear her voice? Have you ever felt the anguish of your loved one's joy? Well, your daughter's at Harvard, mine is on Skid Row. In jail, she'd be protected, yours the CEO. What's my daughter up to? I don't want you to know. Have you ever felt this way? So that was one of the songs, and we did the whole song. But then we did a funny song about our being controlling. So I just wanted to sing a little bit of that one, too, because people loved it and could relate to people that don't realize that they are controlling. You and I must make a pass. There's nothing wrong with how I act. But when there's a crisis, I'll be there. I'll reach out my hand to you and take control of all you do. Just let me fix you and I'll be there. I just wanted to thank you for your show and thank you for everything that you have done and are doing to help so many people in recovery. I know so many of my friends uh, were here in California and a bunch of us are listening to the podcast and talking about it and just saying how it's like a meeting. We can listen to it anytime, anywhere. And it's been such a, an encouragement. Just again, I wanted to say that being in this performing group of Al-Anon was transformative for me. It helped me for the first time in my life I was in my 50s for the first time that I performed as my true authentic self because of the encouragement of the members, the non-judgmental, supportive way that they encouraged my gift and my ability to be silly, to be a, a performer, to be cheesy or whatever you want to call it, and to love it and just have so much joy doing it. It literally changed my life, and I have now perform professionally, and and I just was able to let go of all the things that I grew up with, all those messages in my head about 
singing and what was the correct way to do it and the non-correct way to do it. I'm just so grateful that I came into recovery because of the pain I was in, and it led to this joyful, wonderful transformation in me. So thanks for the topic of music, and I love you guys. Okay, bye. Thank you. Thank you, Susie, for sharing your own experience with music and recovery. Maggie writes, Spencer, I started Al-Anon on November 10th, 2020. Since then, I've listened to every episode of The Recovery Show. In a time when I was at my bottom and there weren't many in-person meetings, I cannot begin to describe what a valuable resource this show is. I learned so much. When I finally found a sponsor in March 2021, she could not believe how far I had come. I believe I owe that primarily to you and your guests. I don't believe you have ever discussed a situation like mine, but I know that I am not unique, so I wanted to volunteer to share my story. I come from a long line of untreated Elanons. In my family, you are either born with the alcoholic gene or you're born hating alcoholics. But since I didn't see any alcoholics around me as a child, I never thought that was part of the problem. What I knew about was that all the women in my family were crazy. Going back generations, there was what was called the Moody Curse. It's both a pun and our family name. The women in my family are genetically prone to have premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. Well, since it only became a diagnosis in 2017, I can only assume that the generations before me had it. All I know is that I was told that all my symptoms were typical women troubles, and it wasn't until my daughter was diagnosed when she turned 16 that I started tracking my symptoms and was able to get a diagnosis in 2019. This removed my prior diagnosis of bipolar depression from my medical chart. For those who are not aware of PMDD, it's a disorder in which a woman's body does not process the hormone progesterone correctly. This means that she feels symptoms in her cycle from the day of ovulation until approximately two days into her period. These symptoms can be physical, like cramps, bloating, and migraines, but often they appear more as self-loathing, extreme depression, hypersomnia, insomnia, and extremely frequent suicidal ideation. For many women with this disease, birth control exasperates the issue rather than relieving it. For me, this disease leaves me with exactly 11 out of 28 days that I feel like a 100% functioning human being. For the 20 years that I have been married, I have been a miserable person for most of the month. In 2019, when I was properly diagnosed, I received treatment that did not cure my problem, but significantly improved my quality of life. For the first time in many years, I became aware of the abuse that I put on my husband and children because I was so very miserable and hated myself so much of the time. This is when I started to hit my bottom. The other part of the story is that my husband is a heavy drinker. I will not say alcoholic because he does not consider himself an alcoholic, and that is between him and his higher power. Nevertheless, his drinking bothered me. At this time, I thought we were equals, like Julian Michaels' song, Issues. Because I got issues, but you got them too. So give them all to me, and I'll give mine to you. Bask in the glory of all our problems, because we get the kind of love it takes to solve them. Yeah, I got issues, and one of them is how bad I need you. As I started to feel better, our relationship got better, and I thought we were in the clear. But in March of 2020, he asked me to go to couples counseling. In that appointment, he unloaded 20 years of resentment against me. I was completely blindsided. He was so hurtful in that meeting that the counselor suggested that we meet separately until we could work through some of those resentments and get back together. We tried for the next three months, but each time she brought us back together, he just expressed so much hurt and anger toward me. The counselor realized that his drinking problem was causing issues in his life, but he was not ready to hear it. So she decided to work with me on my codependency. 
That led me to CODA, but if you think Al-Anon meetings are hard to find in a pandemic, you should try CODA. So I switched to Al-Anon out of convenience. It was there I found the medicine to fix my disease. And like I have heard so many times before on your show, if the medicine works, you probably have the disease. What I could say now is that I am stuck. I'm on the road to recovery and will finally have the cure in a few weeks when I get the full hysterectomy. The only way to cure my disorder is to eliminate ovulation and therefore progesterone. I've changed so much in the past six months. I'm a happier, more serene person despite the chaos that surrounds me. My moods are no longer affected by those around me and I am more confident of myself as a person. I don't know where my marriage will end up. There is a likelihood that it will not survive. With my disease, I was very much a dry drunk and he is having mood swings related to his excessive drinking. He binges once a week, which causes his dopamine levels to rise when he drinks. But then as the week progresses, he gets more depressed as he is looking for his next dopamine fix. There are days that I wished he drank 24-7. The household is tenuous at best. It's like a marriage where one alcoholic is recovered and the other is still drinking. But I have tools. I don't have to let him verbally abuse me. I can stand up for myself and demand respect without arguing and fighting. I no longer count beers and hold them as resentments for days. I've learned to put my troubles in my God box and seal them away. I could not be more grateful for all of that because it didn't come from therapy. It all came from Al-Anon. Sincerely, Maggie L. Thank you, Maggie, for sharing your story, and maybe that will help somebody else who's listening today. Mary writes, Hi, Spencer and Pat. Thank you for episode 358 on Al-Anon after divorce. I've been married for almost 40 years. I worried about my husband's drinking for years. Read, nagged and fretted and threatened to leave. He retired nine years ago and is now deeply into the disease and mostly non-functional. I began my recovery in Al-Anon three years ago. Pat, your experience with divorce after 25 years of marriage has helped me look beyond some of my fears about leaving. You talked about setting an example for your children. My children, grown and with families of their own, have asked me why I haven't left him. I took off my wedding ring a year ago. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Mary. Thanks for writing, Mary. Liz writes, Dear Spencer, I can't tell you how much your show has helped my husband and me in our recovery. Unfortunately, on January 18th, 2021, we lost our 26-year-old son to an overdose. Our Al-Anon family were some of the first people we reached out to. I wonder if you have thought about doing a show on the topic of losing a loved one to the horrible disease of addiction and how we continue to recover. I have included my husband Pierce's remembrance of our beautiful son, Colin. Again, we are so thankful to you and your wonderful show, Liz C. Liz sent this remembrance. I asked if I could read from it and got permission and, in fact, encouragement to do so. I'm going to read part of this. I wrote what I'm about to say the day we found out that Colin had died. It had been a tumultuous day, and I went to spend time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament in adoration to try to reconcile how I was feeling at that moment in time. These are the words the Holy Spirit put on my heart in that moment. Yesterday, my son, Colin, my only son, died. I know Colin struggled with many things, and I know one of those was his belief in his lovableness, his belief that others loved him. He had so much in him to give, and in his own way, he poured what he had out to those he wanted to love. For almost 11 years, I have questioned the quality of my parenthood and my fatherhood. It is not difficult to pick at memories that reveal my own shortcomings and faults, 
and how I was not as good a father or the kind of father that Colin needed. I intellectually know that every father is imperfect and fails in a similar way, for we are all human. But deep down, it's a hard sell to excuse myself, especially now in the face of Colin's earthly death. I have learned through Al-Anon that I didn't cause what has happened to Colin. I couldn't cure it, and I couldn't control it. It took years to stop contributing to it. But the pain is real. The loss is real. There is part of my heart that has died with him, the part that belonged to him, the part that held out for a miracle even in the face of what seemed to be an insurmountable obstacle. I had faith that God and only he could conquer Colin's flaws. So I'm reminded that the last 10 plus years have been a nonstop lesson in life experiences that no person or parent ever wants. It's been a lesson in surrender. It's been a lesson in trust, a lesson in patience, a lesson in tenacity and hope. But most of all, it's been a lesson in love. To an outsider, it may have appeared that we had given up at times, less a surrender and more a capitulation. It may have appeared that we were being cold and unforgiving. It may have even appeared that we had stopped loving. Although it could be difficult to love Colin, we never stopped. We never even considered stopping. We knew that as the cliche goes, love conquers all. But we had also learned that love is not controlling or manipulating a person, even if it's in their best interest. We came to believe that love looks like how God loves. It's a free gift, a total gift, a merciful and forgiving gift, a gift that respects the dignity of a person to make their own choices, good or bad, and allow the consequences to influence future choices. I'm not going to lie. That love is difficult, especially when your loved one is driving toward a cliff or a brick wall. We held on to the belief that God was in control, so we let go and let God. In the end, The Lord is kind and merciful, and through the smoke of this tragedy, I can sense the love of God and the final act of mercy. Colin is now free. He is no longer burdened. He is no longer suffering. He is whole and perfect and experiencing the joy of being in God's perfect love. He no longer has to seek love and acceptance. He has it. And to the extent he may need some help getting there, every prayer I pray and every Mass I attend and everything I do for God. I offer to God for him. Thank you. Thank you, Pierce and Liz, for sharing that, for sharing both your strength and your tragedy with us. Thank you. Ray writes, Hi, Recovery Show. I just want to tell you thank you so much. I'm new to Al-Anon. I went to my first meeting just over a month ago. My spouse of 16 years is an active alcoholic, and we have two children. I'm listening to early episodes right now. You guys keep me grounded. All these new ideas and concept have me exhausted. The changes I'm making in my life are so hard, but listening to your show reminds me that I was exhausted before I found Al-Anon, and life was hard before I found Al-Anon. I feel really fortunate to have you guys. This would be so much harder without you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ray. I'm glad to hear that you are finding recovery because it has done so much for me and many other people. And it sounds like it's starting to do for you too. Thanks for writing. Annie writes, OMG, thank you for sharing and doing what you do with the Recovery Show podcast. 
The topics addressed you and your guests have done on the show have been and are very insightful and much appreciated. I've listened off and on for a year now, and I'm so grateful to have this show as one of my recovery tools. My recovery is from codependency. I've really been struggling emotionally these last couple of weeks. I'm utilizing all the tools I've gathered in my recovery. I thank my higher power for reminding me I have them available to help me cope when I'm struggling emotionally. Wow, the episode 356 I was in need of listening to and so glad I took the time to do just that. I can say thank you times infinity for what you and your guests do for those such as myself who are in need of help, guidance, and direction for recovery's sake. And I feel it still wouldn't be enough. I'm so very grateful for the recovery show, Times Infinity. Thankful for the recovery show. I am Annie. Annie, thanks for writing. Episode 356 was domestic violence and unacceptable behavior with Kathy. John writes, Hi, Spencer. I've been listening to your podcast for perhaps two years or so and find it very helpful. I listen while going for walks, and both the psychological support and physical exercise are very helpful when dealing with overwhelming pressures of work, parenting, isolation, which is still true in the country I'm in, and the effects of growing up with dysfunctional behaviors. I never suffered from abuse, but after 12 years of recovery, I see that emotional neglect was something I did suffer from, and now I'm trying desperately not to hand this off to my daughter, who is almost six. I feel that my window of influence for modeling a healthy relationship is closing, and this scares me enormously. The isolation and pain I've experienced in 49 years is one thing, but to pass this on to another human being breaks my heart. I wonder if you would consider a show on emotional neglect, and if you want to touch on parenting within that topic even better. I searched for it on your website, but didn't see any results. Thank you for your show and considering this topic, John. Thank you, John. That's not something I can talk about from experience. I think I need to reach out to you who are listening. If this is something you could talk about your own experience, maybe talk about recovery from emotional neglect, I would welcome you to contribute to that topic. Thanks. Ashley sent a voicemail. Hello, Spencer. I wanted to call in just to express some gratitude for your podcast. I've been listening to it for several years now, and I tell as many people as will listen about it. I just wanted to express gratitude because recently I have been through a big work project where I was working six days a week, 12-hour days, plus nearly two hours driving time on top of that. So it was very hard for me to participate in the program in my normal way, but I would listen to your podcast every morning on my drive to work, and it would help me get into the mindset that I needed to have so that I could be successful through the rest of the day. And yeah, I was in survival mode just because of the workload and the work schedule, but your podcasts helped me to elevate that out of survival a bit more into living and thriving as well, combined with some meditation and stretching and all those types of things. I came out of it much better than the last time that I went through a work project like this. So I just wanted to say thank you for all that you do. You'll never know how much growth and strength your program and your efforts in this podcast and everyone who puts time into it means in my life. My program has increased exponentially just from listening to everything you produce and it has helped me survive these kind of events in my life and come out 
on the other side, less beat up, less haggard. So thank you so much. Please keep doing this wonderful work. And yeah, lots of thanks from Ashley from Alberta. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley. The other song that you picked, want to tell us about uh, your song, Running From the Fire. Yeah, I was at a conference, as I mentioned earlier, and I heard someone share that in his story, that I didn't come here walking towards the light. I came here running from the fire. I like to write, if I'm writing about recovery, I don't want it to be super obvious. I try to blend it into something a little more subtle. The idea I thought was it could be like a really codependent relationship or a really bad relationship. Because for me, when I wrote this, it was from the the side of the alcoholic. I was comparing it to a bad relationship. It was like the other person in my life that I at first had a very good relationship with, but then it started to go not so well. And there were fewer and fewer fun times. And then there were really not many fun times, but I was having a very difficult time detaching from this person. Then I really just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get away from them. And things were not good. That was my experience with alcohol. It started out really fun and good times. And it got worse and worse. Lots of bridges that were burned and relationships just ruined. And I think it's it's had some interest in the commercial world. So we'll see. Maybe that'll get out there. But yeah, so I just like it. I like it. It's a little different from my other songs in that it's got a little bit of a swampy feel to it. The guy who who recorded this album for me, he tours as a guitar player with Reba McIntyre. He's amazingly talented his name is Jim Kimball and he did all the instrumentation but I told him basically that I wanted this to sound a little different a little swampy I felt like he he hit the nail on the head surrender was the last thing I wanted to do there ain't no denying the pain you put me through i thought i knew you so well guess i have to blame myself for letting you burn me till i was Good girl into a life I didn't come here looking for 
you thank you so much for being here thank you for sharing your story goodness thank you for having me thank you for doing what you do it really helped me years ago when i found you to listen to you and and the others share about their journey and it really has helped me a lot and thank you for having me as a guest it's been my pleasure Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. My understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.